Wine Stories, a podcast to discover the world of wine by Etienne Pommier. Today in Wine Stories, I take you to Provence to discover a classic vineyard and its famous wine every taster has tried at least once, Chateauneuf-du-Pape. Recounting 2,000 years of an absolutely unique history made by exceptional characters, I invite you to discover its terroir and its wines blending gracefully richness and generosity to finesse and seduction. From the times of the popes in Avignon to the French Revolution, Alexandre Dumas and the creation of the AOCs, from UFO landings to the recipe of curry, I tell you the story of Chateauneuf-du-Pape, the first appellation in France. If you drive down the Rhone Valley coming from the north, shortly after Montélimar, you will see the landscape open up on vast plains with gently rolling hills and the imposing mass of Mont Ventoux towering above the region. As you reach Orange, take the road D68 weaving between vineyards towards the south until you cross a small road on your right-hand side with a stone arch. Pass through the arch and after 100 meters, you'll arrive in front of an old castle in ruins of which only a wall and a half-collapsed tower remain. At the bottom of the dungeon, a terrace offers a wide view at the surroundings from the Luberon Mountains in the distance to Avignon and the Rhone River. At your feet lies a small village like an island surrounded by a sea of vines of bright emerald green shining under the sun. You are in Chateauneuf-du-Pape. Archives from the 11th century already mention the existence of a fortified village on this hill, Castrum Novum. In 1157, the village becomes part of the Diocese of Avignon under the rule of the bishop, and its name changes to Chateauneuf-Calcernier, a name referring to the village's significant production of lime. In 1309, the popes settle in Avignon, and a prosperous period starts for the village with the construction of the castle and the development of the vineyards. If the pope's palace did buy the local wines, the church probably didn't promote them as much as it is often said. In his book, Le Désir du Vin, published by Artem Fayard in 2009, historian Jean-Robert Pitt suggests that the popes used to prefer Burgundy wines, which would explain why the region didn't quite achieve the same fame as Bordeaux, Burgundy or Anjou in the following centuries. Yet, one producer did manage to gain a reputation of excellency for its wines, Chateau Lanert. In 1560, the Ville Franche family buys a property in the village and ambitions to make it a flagship of the Rhone Valley. They build a castle and start selling their wines in bottles from 1776 to the finest tables in France and Europe. Great travelers and ambassadors of the domain, they start exporting to North America as early as 1786. This is completely new for the region at the time. During the French Revolution, other wines from the area are sold and promoted in Paris as neighbors of the Cru of Lanert. In his Dictionary of Cuisine, Alexandre Dumas mentions it as one of the fine wines every connoisseur should have in his cellar to be a perfect host. But in the last quarter of the 19th century, a small yet terrible enemy starts ravaging the vineyards of Chateauneuf-du-Pape, Phylloxera. Phylloxera 
is an insect pest of the grapevine that lives in the ground and feeds on the roots, sucking the life out of the plant that dies within a few years. Originally from North America, it is spotted for the first time in Europe in 1861, 10 kilometers away from Chateauneuf-du-Pape in the village of Roquemont. In a matter of years, Phylloxera will destroy the vines of Chateauneuf as well as nearly 80% of the European vineyards before a solution is finally found grafting the original vine on American rootstock. Being immune to the parasite sting, the American rootstock allows the original cultivar to grow and yield again. This very efficient solution will allow the reconstitution of the vineyards from 1878 onwards and, paradoxically, Phylloxera will represent an opportunity for Chateauneuf. The main variety planted in the area, green ash, being able to survive and keep producing for decades. The appellation has nowadays a high proportion of very old vines with many centenarian plots since it was the first one to be replanted. In 1877, ravaged by Phylloxera, the famous Chateau Lanert is bought by Commandant Joseph Ducos, who undertakes to restore the vineyards of the domain. The other vintners soon follow in his footsteps and the whole appellation is replanted. First and foremost, Ducos wants to preserve the ancient cultivars and the character of the domain's wines. So he only grafts the local varieties, both red, such as Grenache, Syrah or Mauvedre, and white, such as Claret or Picpoul. Doing so, he defines the 13 grape varieties that would eventually become the base of the appellation. In 1893, Joseph Ducos, now the mayor of the village, has a formidable marketing idea to promote it. It changes its name from Chateauneuf-Calcernier to Chateauneuf-du-Pape. At the next generation, the pioneer's torch will be taken up by another exceptional character who will transform the French wine landscape forever, Baron Leroy. Pierre-Gabriel-Vincent Ernest Leroy de Boiseau-Marié, called Baron Leroy, was born on April 5, 1890, and spent his youth in the south of France near Montpellier. This hard-working young man chooses law school and shows in his 20s a resolute character and a hot temper. In 1907, while studying in Montpellier, he witnesses the Languedoc-Vintner riots. To prevent the troops stationed in the courthouse to come out and fire on the crowd, he sets the door on fire. His bravery will soon make him a true hero of the Great War after becoming a fighter pilot in 1916. With five confirmed victories, he is one of the 186 French flying aces of the First World War. Wounded in action twice and captured in 1918, he is awarded the Military Medal, the Croix de Guerre with two palms and the Légion d'honneur at the end of the war. In 1919, he marries Edmé Bernard Le Saint of Chateau Fortia in Chateauneuf-du-Pape, met during his years in law school. Renouncing a career as a lawyer, he dedicates himself to the domain and the challenges faced by the vineyards at the time. Decreasing quality after the phylloxera infestation, fraud on the origin of grapes, and local wines being purchased by negotiants in Beaune or Tain-l'Hermitage to strengthen their own production in lesser vintages. Called for help by the vignons aware of his legal background, he responds, I agree on one condition, is that you all lead by example in terms of honesty and discipline. In 
helped by other local figures, he creates the syndicate of Chateauneuf-du-Pape growers in 1924. He sets up rules about viticulture and harvest dates, defines a minimum alcoholic degree for the wines, and confirms Ducos' list of authorized cultivars. Inspired by a 1925 ruling protecting cheeses, he lobbies for the creation of an appellation that guarantees the authenticity and quality of a product based on a delimited area and strict rules of production. In 1933, the French High Court rules in his favor, and on May 15, 1936, Chateauneuf-du-Pape becomes the first wine appellation in France, alongside Arbois, Cassis, Montbazillac, and Tavel. In the following years, all the other regions will follow, and the system will eventually become an international reference later inspiring other countries such as Spain or Italy. In 1937, he also created the iconic Chateauneuf bottle, embossed with St. Peter's keys and the Pope's tiara. President of the Institute of French Appellation for 20 years and founding member of the French Wine Academy, he dies on June 16, 1967. Chateauneuf-du-Pape Vineyards cover 3,200 hectares spread over five villages and worked by 320 independent producers. Its warm Mediterranean climate is the driest in the Rhone Valley, with the majority of rainfall occurring in winter. But it is also the windiest, with the famous Mistral, this powerful north wind that has already been measured at 300 km per hour at the summit of Mont Ventoux. The Mistral cools and dries up the air, thus limiting the development of grapevine diseases and helping concentrate the berries by desiccation. The Appalachian area shows a remarkable soil diversity that geologist George Truck classifies in four categories. First, the limestones in the west, close to the Rhone River, chalky outcrops used in the past as lime quarries and perfectly suited to white varieties such as Greenage Blanc, Claret or Roussan. The whites here show great mineral tension and a bright acidity such as in the wines of Chateau Vaudieu. In red wines, this calcareous terroir gives remarkably balanced wines with an asserted structure, chalky tannins and a freshness noticeable in bottlings such as Bois-Renard from Domaine de Bornard. The second terroir are the safre, sandy slopes that cover a third of the AOC. Green ash does very well on these draining soils and gives complex and smooth wines with refined tannins such as Chateau Rayas or Domaine de la Vieille Julienne. In the north and the center of the appellation, there are alluvial terraces covered with a layer of the famous pebbles carried by the Rhone River in the Quaternary period. These large, smooth, sand-colored rocks found in areas such as Lacro or Morodon accumulate the heat during the day to favor ripening. Furthermore, since they don't retain any humidity, thus preventing fungal diseases, the water drips through to reach the layer of red clay underneath where it is protected from direct sunlight and evaporation. This water reserve, essential in a Mediterranean climate, suits perfectly green ash and mauvais, which produce here rich and powerful wines at the likes of Domaine du Pego or Domaine du Vieux Telegraph. On this unique terroir, Old vines yield some of the finest cuvées in the appellation, 
such as Hommage à Jacques Perrin from Château de Beaucastel or Cuvée des Cadettes from Château Lanert. Finally, the terroir in the center east of the AOC is called red sandstone, a mix of sandstone, clay and decomposed limestone. Well suited to both red and whites, it is typically used to bring elegance and freshness in blends. On top of the geological complexity of the terroirs, there is the variety of cultivars planted in the AOC. The term cultivar refers to a variety of the vine species Vitis vinifera used for wine production. For the fruits such as apples, we speak of varieties Fuji, Granny Smith, Golden. For grapevines, we talk about cultivars, or cépage in French. In Chateauneuf-du-Pape, I roll out the 13 grapes listed by Joseph Ducos over a century ago. Greenache, Mourvèdre, Syrah, Cinceau, Cunoise, Muscardin, Vaccarès, and Terre Noire for reds. As well as Clairette, Bourboulinque, Picpoul, Roussanne, and Picardon for whites. Mutations of these varieties, such as Grenache Blanc, are also allowed. This extraordinary diversity allows vintners to look for the perfect match between the different types of soils and the cultivar that will best express these terroirs, just like a composer chooses the best instrument for each score. The soul of Chateauneuf is the Grenache, that provides the supple body and lifting notes of very ripe cherry and strawberry. The structure of the wines is brought by the Mourvèdre, a variety rich in color and tannins that gives the wines great aging potential and contributes aromas of blackberry, black olive, and game. Syrah is all about fine tannins and extra aromatic complexity of blackcurrant, violet, and pepper. The other red varieties typically represent only a fraction of the blend, but they do add nuances, just like different blends of spices make different curries. Cinso with its almond notes, the spicy touch of Cunoise, Muscardin's freshness, and the floral tones of the Vaccarès and the Terre Noire. If red wines represent nearly 93% of the production, the remaining 7% is made of white wines. No rosé in Chateauneuf. Claret typically gives white wines their unctuous texture and aromas of apple and grapefruit, while Grenache Blanc gives them power and aniseed tones. The vibrancy often comes from Bourboulinque, while Roussan adds mouthfeel and texture in the mid-palate, as well as a floral element. Peachy nuances from the Picpoul and the musky sweetness of Picardon add extra complexity to the profile of White Chateauneuf-du-Pape. If the GSM blend of Grenache, Syrah and Mourvèdre is the core of the appellation, there are some cuvées featuring the 13 grapes, typically because of field blends, which means that the cultivars are mixed in the vineyard. In the early 2000s, the Coulon family from Domaine de Borna replanted a small plot with equal shares of all 13 varieties obtained from the Domaine's oldest vine material. In 2012, they released the first vintage of a cuvée named Grand Partita, paying homage to Serenade KV361 by Mozart, played by 13 instruments. The result is a stunning wine showing great finesse and exceptional aromatic complexity. The variety of terroirs and grapes in Chateauneuf, combined with the diversity of viticultural and winemaking practices, as well as philosophies amongst vintners, has shaped over time one of the most complex appellations in the country. 
But beyond their differences, all Chateauneuf-du-Pape wines share common traits that forge their reputation. A generous character and a fascinating depth that makes this tiny village of the Vaucluse department one of the leading appellations in France. If the village managed to gain international fame thanks to its history and its wines, it may also have been thanks to the inspired and light-hearted spirit of some of its mayors. And I can't resist the pleasure of telling you two anecdotes that contributed to the village's reputation. In the fall of 1954, flying objects were the talk of the town, and multiple UFO sightings were reported in France. Understanding the public's interest for UFOs, Mayor Lucien Jeune saw an opportunity to gain more exposure for his village, and he wrote a decree on October 25th stating this. Flying, landing, and takeoff of flying saucers, flying cigars, or other unidentified objects is forbidden on the territory of the village of Chateauneuf-du-Pape. Any flying saucer or flying cigar landing within the boundaries of the village will be confiscated by local authorities. For 70 years, thanks to this decree still in force today, the town hall has been receiving countless mail and interview requests from both French and foreign media, as well as amateur ufologists from all around the world. A practical joke that has turned into a formidable buzz and free advertising for the village. Here's another story. When you come to Chateauneuf-du-Pape to discover the vineyards and the cellars, you may feel a little tired after a few tastings. Don't you worry, the village has you covered, thanks to a 1970 decree stating that understanding the need to protect the public visiting our cellars from possibly tasting too much wine, the council has created dedicated spaces for weary tasters that will allow them to rest before they continue on their journey safely. During this extension of stay, they will be placed under the supervision of a local authority who will take care of them until they are deemed ready to go on with their journey. If you ever wish to discover the vineyards of Chateauneuf-du-Pape, I invite you to come to Provence to lose yourself in this beautiful landscape of vines and to meet some of the producers in their cellars. There, not only will you taste the captivating diversity of wines in the AOC, but you will truly explore, by yourself, the fascinating terroir of the first appellation in France. <laughs>